The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. And this morning we're going to look at a new subject. We're going to look at, for the next couple of weeks, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit, some of you may be asking. As we live according to God's requirements, then the fruit of the Spirit is what is being produced in our lives. That's what the work of the Holy Spirit does. Galatians 5 verses 22 and 23 tell us particularly about the fruit of the Spirit. It says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, it says, there is no law. The fruit, the fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And as he works in our lives, then he brings about an increase in the measure of the love that's in us, the joy that's in us, the peace that's in us. He brings about those things and works them in our lives. So let's remind ourselves just for a second what fruit is. We know fruit of the Spirit. Okay, this is what we're talking about. Let's just put that to one side, talk about fruit. We know what fruit is because we're supposed to eat lots of fruit. Your five a day are supposed to be what we have. Not necessarily what we all do have. But we know that fruit is something that is produced. So we go up to an apple tree and we're looking to the apple tree to produce apples. That's the fruit that the apple tree will produce, or hopefully will produce, and we're going to that tree and we want to get those lovely apples, we want to eat them, and we want to enjoy them. Just so, the fruit of the Spirit is something that the Holy Spirit produces. It's something that the Holy Spirit brings to pass. Please note, I've put here, please note that it says fruit, not fruits. Now, there's a multiple of uh, fruits that are mentioned because it says there, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, all of those different things. But it's actually not producing fruits. The Holy Spirit produces fruit. And the fruit is all of those things. It's something that has many facets about it. So the fruit that the Holy Spirit is producing, that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, is the result of us obeying God. It's the result of us walking in the ways of his kingdom. And if we do that, if we're obedient to God, if we're walking in the ways of his kingdom, then in our lives, the Holy Spirit is able to work his production, and his production is going to produce this fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control is being worked out in our lives. Now notice, these are all qualities that we like. They're all things that we want more of. In actual fact, the verse in Galatians goes on to say, having said this is the fruit, it goes on to say, against such things, there is no law. Nobody in Parliament is saying, listen, we really need to talk about the fact we've got to stop people loving one another. We've got to stop people being self-controlled. We've got to stop people being patient. Nobody is saying that. Nobody is saying these are bad things. Everybody recognizes these are good things. 
And because they're good things and that society wants more of them, there are no laws that are raised up to stop them. Indeed, these are the things that we want to see being brought into our communities and into our own lives. They are good qualities. So for us as Christians, then we want the Holy Spirit to produce lots and lots of his fruit in our lives. And we want that fruit to be so developed within us, so mature, so ready, as it were, in our lives that other people looking at us can see the evidence of that fruit. Not that it would raise us up, but they would see what God is like, the reality of God being lived out through our lives. That is actually what we want to see. Father, we bless you and we praise you for all of your goodness and kindness to us. We thank you, Father, that you alone are the one who works in us and through us. So, Father, we bow before your presence to say, Lord, have your way. Have your way in our lives. Have your way to work out this fruit in us. Lord, it is our desire that this fruit would overflow. It is our desire that our lives would be changed by your presence and your goodness in us. So, Father, please, we pray, open our ears to hear what you have to say and speak into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what do we need to know if we're going to have more of this fruit in our lives? If we're going to see it growing more and more in our lives, what do we need to know? Because there are things that can cause a hindrance to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. If you remember, there's a story or there's recorded back in Acts, a story of Stephen. And Stephen was taken before the Sanhedrin and he was being questioned about his behavior and the things that he'd been doing. And he stands up before all the Jewish leaders in this Sanhedrin. There's about 70 of them. And he says to them this. This is in Acts 7. He says, you stiff-necked people. I say, Hang on a second. He says, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. Hang on a second. He's talking to the people, the religious leaders of Jerusalem of that time. The top people. And Stephen says to them, you're stiff-necked. It's like your hearts are still uncircumcised. It's like you haven't given in to the things of God. He says, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You see, when we come to church, there's a sense in which like, we come to church, we come as Christians, we're here, we want to embrace everything the Holy Spirit has for us. But we don't always realize that there are things, or there can be things within us, which actually cause a hindrance to the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's a little bit this morning, I want to look at a couple of those things that resist, some of the things that actually prevent the Holy Spirit from doing the work that we want Him to do. None of us is going to say, we don't want to have that fruit produced in our lives. We do want to see that fruit produced in our lives. We want to see more of it. We want to see a great crop, as it were, of the Holy Spirit fruit in our lives. But what are the things that can actually hinder that from happening? Well, I want to look at uh, several things. First of all, I want to remind us that as Christians, we're living in the kingdom of God. And living in the kingdom of God comes with some responsibilities. So firstly, let me just look at kingdoms and how they operate. So as Christians, we're living in the kingdom of God. Let's just talk about kingdoms and how they operate. A kingdom is an area where the rule and authority of the king is found. So the king rules over his kingdom. And in his kingdom, that area of land that's designated to his rulership, what he says goes. That's the whole idea of a kingdom. 
In other words, if we live in that kingdom, then we're going to be expected to follow the instructions, the commands, the leadership of our king. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. Now, as we stop and think about that, hang on, following instructions, commands that the king is given to us, that sounds a bit like a dictatorship to me. And as soon as we mention dictatorship, whoa, suddenly, whoa, we don't want dictatorships. I mean, we remember dictators. We've got people like Joseph Stalin. We've got Adolf Hitler. We've got Mao in China. We've got all these people that we can name now, and even possibly other people that we could name who are in our news right now are acting like dictators. What are they doing, or what did they do? They established rule. What they said basically went across the land area that they were commanding. That's what a dictator does. It has a very negative connotation about it because we know of all of the historical examples of dictators that we look at in history lessons or things we're supposed to remember in history lessons. I failed my history, so I'm not very good at that. But I want to encourage all of those doing revision, get stuck in as far as history is concerned. Um, We learn about the fact that these men, they misuse their power. They affected people's lives negatively. And there were severe repercussions for anybody who didn't obey what they wanted them to do. And all that, even to the point of death for many people. So the whole concept of dictatorship, of coming under a ruler, of understanding that what the ruler of the kingdom says is what needs to happen... For us, it's quite a negative thing. In fact, now we're living in a democracy, and you know what? We listen to our leaders, and we'll obey our leaders as long as it doesn't cause too much problem for us. That's the type of attitude that we've got. But obviously, if we go into the news right now, and we're looking at the situation in Ukraine, then we're seeing there a man, whether we're going to call him a dictator or not, but we're seeing Putin come to extend his kingdom to take more land. How is he doing it? Aggressively, by sending in his troops. And we know, because what we're seeing and hearing, of the awful atrocities that are coming with that. But what is he seeking to do? He's seeking to extend his kingdom and the area of rule that he has over that landmass. And certainly for the areas that he's taken over in Ukraine, Those people living in what was Ukraine but now is under Russian occupation, they are now expected to follow whose rules? The rules of the Ukrainian government? No, no, no. They're expected to follow the rules of the Russian government. You see, what's happening, the idea of concept of kingdoms is really relevant right now because it's right in front of us. Did you know that God is a dictator? We don't like this. And this is why I'm talking about it, because, you see, we need to understand a king, what he does and how he rules over a kingdom. But we need to understand that our mindsets are so biased towards the negative experience that history has shown to us that we forget that we are under a king, King Jesus, who is ruling over a kingdom which anybody who is a believer has given themselves to that kingdom. They've come into that kingdom to come under the authority and the rulership of the king. Now, here's the good news, because there is good news in this, is that our king is a good king. But just in case we didn't think that he was a, he was a sovereign, that he was a dictator, as it were, just listen to this scripture from Romans 14:11, where it says this, It is written... As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue 
will acknowledge God. Can you hear his authority? Can you hear the position that he is going to take? King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, if you talk about it in terms of dictatorship, negativity comes to our mind. But we want to look at what our God is like. And don't forget what our God is like. What does the Bible say he is like? God is love. That's what it describes him as. You see, if you want to take hold of one of the people I mentioned, Stalin or, you know, or Adolf Hitler, mm, that is not the frame of reference that we're going to apply to them. Vladimir Putin, that's not the frame of reference we're going to apply to him. But when it comes to God, God is love. So what does that mean in terms of his characteristics? What does that mean in the way that he behaves? 1 Corinthians 13, 5-7 says this, Love is patient and kind. It is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. God is love. These are the characteristics of what love is like. This is what God is like. He is the ultimate ruler over his kingdom, but his kingdom is exhibiting these qualities. Hence... When his Holy Spirit is operating in the people of his kingdom, it produces the fruit of the king, which is, as we have already read, the fruit of the Spirit, says Galatians, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. You see that when you come into the kingdom, you start to obey the king. The character, the nature, the laws, the commands of the king start to affect the people in the kingdom as they live those things out. Hence, we want to see more of the fruit of the spirit. We want to see more of the results of a people who are true citizens of the king of heaven. That's what we're talking about. So that's, I just want to give that to give us a picture about kingdoms, okay? Because we are in a kingdom and we are under a ruler who is Jesus Christ. Okay, now let me talk about two natures. Because this is something that we have to deal with. Two natures. And we're going to ask two questions. What are the two natures and what do they do? What are the two natures and what do they do? First of all, let me talk very briefly about the effects of the fall. And for most people who, are, who come here regularly, you will understand this. If you don't come here regularly, then just listen up. The effects of the fall, we're going right back to the beginning, Adam and Eve. There they were. They were created by God. They had relationship with God. They were enjoying God's company day by day. And everything was wonderful and perfect until the day when they disobeyed God's rules. Until that day, which is pronounced as the day they fell from grace from God. Hence the name, the fall. Because they have fallen from position before God and full relationship with God because of the effects of disobedience, because of the effects of sin. And that act has infected humanity from that moment on. The effects of the fall affect 
us all. I really like the way that rhymed as well, okay? I was just saying that, and I thought, it's not in my notes, but I love that, so there we go. Romans 3, 23, for everyone. Can you hear that? For everyone has sinned. For everyone has sinned. We fall short of God's glorious standard. The effects of the fall is it brings in sin. So we are all born with a sinful nature, And we all have a natural propensity to sin. Now, if you're unconvinced of this, please find somebody who has a young child that's growing up, preferably even before they can talk and you watch that child, and you will learn that this lovely child that's being loved and cared for by the parents at some stage or other is suddenly going to start doing things and you think, like, why are they being sinful? Why are they being rebellious? Why, where has this behavior come from? I've never taught it to them. You don't have to teach it. It's because it's part of us. We find that out. And all of you who've had children, I'm sure, will understand exactly what I'm talking about. We have a sinful nature, and that nature seems to dominate us. However, for people who come to Jesus and find his presence and find salvation in what Jesus has done and become born again, in that being born again, a new nature is birthed within you, a nature that responds to and can be led by the Holy Spirit. So every person has a sinful nature, but for the people who have been born again, they also have a nature that can be led by the Holy Spirit. So to answer the first question that I raised, what are the two natures? Well, the two natures, and this is what I'm going to call them, are these, the sinful nature and the Holy Spirit nature. And you know what? As Christians, when we live according to the Holy Spirit nature, then that is what the Bible talks about when it says living by the Spirit. You are living according to the ways of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask the second question, which is this. What do these natures do? And to help us answer this question, I want to go to Galatians chapter 5, a bit earlier than where we read before, where Paul gives some teaching about these two natures. So Galatians 5, verses 16 to 24, I'll read, and you can follow on the screens. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, Sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross or to his cross and crucified them there. Okay, so when we're asking the question, what do these natures do? We can see that they do very different things, or they produce very different types of fruit. And that's because each nature is producing the fruit of a different kingdom. Either the fruit of the kingdom of darkness, the sinful nature produces that, or it's producing the fruit of the kingdom of light, of God's kingdom, which is the good things that we want to see happening in our lives. So let's just underline and think through a minute what happens if we were to follow our sinful nature. When we follow the sinful nature, and sometimes this is called the flesh, our flesh, because it's referred to in the Bible as being, as it were, not the physical flesh on the outside, but that sense of that driving force that comes from within you. That's how I would describe it. When we're following that, what happens? Well, it says that As we walk in those ways, then the type of fruit, the results of walking in those ways, are going to produce these sorts of things. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. So if you're experiencing or walking in any of those things, okay, then you just need to know this. That is the operation of the sinful nature. That is that force that is working in your life. Or if you're into idolatry, sorcery, If there's hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, then you need to know that is the operation of the sinful nature working within you. That's what it is because that is the fruit that we're being told. This is the fruit that that nature actually produces. If there is selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like that, then we need to know that that's where it's coming from. Now, right now, I'm not talking to you to say, like, okay, let's have a quick hands up. Anybody affected by those things? We're not here to judge. We're here to try to come to an understanding. What's going on in our lives? You see, when we're in church, everything can be pure and holy and righteous and lovely, which sometimes means there's no reality. Because we're not just living in church. We're living every day outside there. And we're dealing with the things of the kingdoms outside there. And these are the pressures that we can find in the quietness of our own lives when we're sort of hidden away from other people. The pressures can come upon us. These are the things that we're experiencing. So we need to speak about them. And it's not so much as like, wow, you shouldn't be doing that. Listen, we all have sinned and fallen short of God's standards. That's exactly why Jesus came, to rescue us from this position. But we need to understand that we have been in and are still being driven or can be driven by our sinful nature. And our sinful nature will produce this type of fruit. I can almost hear a cry, but you need to understand, Jonathan, I am a Christian. I have been forgiven of my sin. I am cleansed. And I want to say, well, praise God, hallelujah for that, because that is good news. But you can also be led 
by your sinful nature, even though you have made all those proclamations and declarations. You see, this is the issue. Just because you said, I am following Jesus, and you're wanting to enter into his kingdom under the kingship of Jesus Christ, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually going to obey everything he asks you to do. Because sometimes, do you know what? It just doesn't suit me right now. Because I want to do what I feel inside. I want to do these other things. There is a tension that every single one of us will know and understood. Listen, what does Paul say into this situation? Because he brings all sorts of teachings into what I'm talking about this morning. Galatians 5 verse 16, he says, I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Look at the language, by the way. Okay, The sinful nature craves something. Do you ever crave? I mean, some people have a craving for chocolate. Not after Easter, but I mean... You have a craving for all sorts of things. You can put it in the food realm. It seems to be much easier for us to talk about that. I have a craving for this. I want to have fish and chips. I want to, whatever the craving might be. We know what cravings are. They're inside of us and they're like a driving desire that makes us want to have what that's saying. See, it's simple to talk about it with food. But when you're talking about some of the other lustful, sinful pleasures that have already been mentioned, whoa, 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 we don't want to have, that's all secret, private. We don't want anybody to know about that. But they are the cravings of the sinful nature. And Paul says to us, we need to let the Holy Spirit guide us. As I've said before, being guided by the Holy Spirit is what Bibles or what uh, you can read about saying living by the Spirit And when we live by the Spirit, it has an amazing effect in our lives. It causes us to do the things that God wants, and so that we are not satisfying, or gratifying, as the phrase can be, the things of the sinful nature. The sinful nature, let me put it like this, it's the inner driving force of your desire that tells you what you want. And it comes up with ideas of how you can get it. That's what it is. So we talk about the sinful nature. Now, hang on, let me, let me try to get it understandable to each one of us so that we know what's going on and so that we can recognize. The sinful nature, it is that inner driving force of your desire that tells you what you want and it often suggests exactly how you can get it. Now let's listen to a bit more of what Paul says on this. Galatians 5:17, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite from what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. If ever you felt that there was a battle that goes on inside of you, you're right. It does. It goes on inside every one of us. Whether we're looking around the room and we say, like, that doesn't surprise me. Or whether we're looking around the room and we're saying, like, that does surprise me. Okay? 
Stop judging one another. Let's deal with the issues of our hearts. And let's get as individuals. You do realize that when you get before God, you're not going to be answering questions about the person sitting beside you, in front of you, behind you, or elsewhere in the church. It's him he's interested in. It's you that God is interested in in asking the questions. So this is why we need to deal with it for ourselves. This battle that's going on behind us is this. The sinful nature wants to do what is evil. The sinful nature wants to do what Satan wants it to do. But the spiritual nature, the Holy Spirit nature as I called it, wants to do the things that God wants you to do. It wants to do good things. But the two things are completely opposite. They're they're directly opposed to one another. And that's why we have uh, this conflict, even when we're trying to carry out our good intentions. Now, I looked at the scripture in a couple of commentaries, and these are the quotes that I found quite helpful. Ellicott's commentary said this, The opposition between the flesh and the spirit, each pulling a different way, prevents the will from acting freely. See, what he's saying is that this is how it feels. You think you've got free will. You'll do whatever you want. I'll do what I want to do. But actually, there are two forces pulling. You know, sometimes you have that picture in a cartoon where it's got like a little devil on one shoulder, a little angel on the other shoulder, and it's speaking to the person, this is the way to go. No, 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 do this. You know that type of cartoon? But I mean, there's an element of truth about that. We think, oh, I'm running my life my way. I'll do exactly what I want. Uh, Wake up. Wake up to understand the power of the kingdoms that are around you and the powers that are within you. Barnes, in his notes on the Bible, says this. The inclination and desires of the flesh are contrary to those of the spirit. They draw us away in an opposite direction And while the Spirit of God would lead us one way, our carnal nature would lead us another, and thus produce the painful controversy which exists in our minds. I'm trying to think of lots of good examples for this, and I have failed, but I've come up with this example, which is not good, but it just like, I understand this. I want to be self-controlled. I do not want to eat too much cake. I don't want to put weight on. Sounds sensible. But there again, I also like cake, so I'll have a piece of cake, just a small piece. But whilst eating the small piece of cake, I'm thinking, this tastes so good. I don't just want a small piece. I want to have more and more of it. Now, a ridiculous example in one sense, but not. Because this is the sort of pattern, you see, we think we can control everything. We think we are in control of everything. And we try to set our limits and our boundaries. But what we find within ourselves is often we can tap directly into our sinful nature and we just go off and do what we please. Paul gives us some sobering teaching on this. Romans 8, verses 6 to 8. So letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. 
It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Of course not. It's a kingdom that is ruled by Satan and it is a kingdom that is struggling to gain power and to keep people in that kingdom. And yet people who have been born again are coming to a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. If we don't deal with the sinful nature, then it's going to keep on trying to push us around to try to get us to do what it wants. But as Christians, we need to be awake to the consequences of following it. It is hostile to God. It can never please God. The advice that the psalmist gives from Psalm 119 verses 9 and 11 are this. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. In other words, the rules of the king, which are written down in his word, are there so that we can follow those instructions. And if we follow his instructions, a young person can stay pure by obeying his word. Verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So when we're asking our second question, what do these natures do? We can see these natures, they seek to influence us in the way that we live. Galatians 5.17, these two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. We have a free will, but it is actually a will that is being pushed around. God is good and is leading us by his Holy Spirit. Satan is bad and he wants to hold us in darkness and keep stirring up our sinful flesh. Those two forces are fighting within us. Remember what it says, or what God says to Cain in Genesis chapter 4. Cain obviously had thoughts about the fact that his sacrifice wasn't good enough and he was getting annoyed because his brother's sacrifice had been accepted and he was beginning to feel bad things against his brother. In fact, not just bad things. He was wanting to wipe out his brother, to kill his brother. These were the thoughts that he was beginning to have. This was the desire that was beginning to stir up within him. And in the midst of that, God speaks this to Cain. He says, if you do what is right... Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. If we can grasp what is going on in our lives, or what's going on around our lives, the pressures that each of us are under, then perhaps we can see even now why it is that we need to have such a close relationship with God. Not just every now and then, but every moment of the day because we need Him to help us all the time. What happened? I got up this morning, I prayed, okay, I've had my time with God. Yes, but I've got to go through the day when I'm facing all sorts of barrages and problems that are coming against me. All sorts of different things from the workplace or from colleagues or friends or people on the train or what, wherever or whatever it might be, at school or college. The stuff is coming against us all the time. And therefore, we need to have a God who is there saying, God, you need to help me. I need you in this situation. It's not that we need to pray long prayers. It's those prayers, those arrow prayers that we often pray at those times. But look, having read about Romans 8 verse 6 where it says about letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control our mind leads to life and peace, 
The sinful nature is always hostile to God. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Paul goes on to give Christians this encouragement in the very next verse because he says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. Now, I can remember reading that and thinking, oh, well, that's fine. Let's be finished. I'm not controlled. All that stuff you just talked about, Jonathan, is irrelevant to me because I'm not controlled. No, I'm not controlled by it, but it's still there and it's still affecting me. And unless I place it under Jesus, it can still dominate me. So you see, we can read this scripture and say, well, I'm not controlled. This doesn't affect me. No, everything I have been speaking about affects every one of us probably every day. Every day. It's if we understand it and we know what's going on, then we can start to come to God and say, God, I need you to help me here. Because you have said in your word, I'm not controlled by this, but it seems to be controlling me. So I need your grace. I need your help. I need you to change me so that I can be truly fulfilling your word. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if, because Paul is needing to say, hang on a second, as long as you have become a Christian, as long as you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. So that's the first thing. Let's make sure that we really are Christians, that we've really given ourselves to God and that the Holy Spirit has come in and is helping us because that's the first thing. Then Paul goes on to say in verse 12, he says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Let me just read that again. You have no obligation to do. You have no obligation. You are not obliged to obey the pressures or the voices or the temptations of the sinful nature which are screaming out their desires within you. You have no obligation. It doesn't say they're never going to come. It doesn't say they're not a reality in our lives for the life of the Christian. It doesn't say this is something that you Christians don't ever have to think about. It says that you are not under an obligation. You see, this is what we find. We find within ourselves the sinful nature is saying, but I do want to do that. And then we come back into that conflict area again. Whose voice are we going to obey? Whose kingdom are we going to live in? Are we going to live in the kingdom of God and say, yes, God, I know that's not what you want. I'm obeying you. Give me the power of your Holy Spirit to set me free and to release me from this. Or am I going to go back into the ways of the sinful nature which are hostile to God, which cannot please God. Of course they can't because it's sin. He hates sin. What are we going to do? Goes on to say, so no obligation, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do, for if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. It's interesting. I mean, I I find this really interesting. I'm saved, I'm a child of God, is some teaching. Paul says, those who are following the Holy Spirit are the children of God. Hmm. Look, what I've tried to paint a picture of this morning is that We want to have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. 
We want to have more of that. We want to see an abundant crop of this beautiful fruit, not just one of them, oh, I'll go for peace. No, 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 it's not one bit. It's their facets of, the fr- of fruit. It, it is fruit that God wants to bring. We want to see that growing in our lives, but to see that growing in our lives, it means this, we need to be led by the Spirit. For us to be led by the Spirit and to allow the Holy Spirit to do that work, it means that we've actually got to recognize there is also our sinful nature that needs to be overcome. One of the scriptures I read today says, those who belong to Christ have crucified. Have crucified their sinful nature. Uh, Me, I'm a work in progress. That's the truth. I want it dead as dead can be. And for some periods of time, it lays dead as dead can be. And hallelujah, other times it wants to raise its head again. How do we overcome? We overcome by coming close to God and saying, God, I actually can't do this. I've got these powers that are pushing me around. But what I want to do is to surrender to the greater power. The power of the Holy Spirit. I want to invite him into my life right early in the morning, but not just early in the morning. I want to invite him into my life every moment throughout the day, as best as I am able and I can remember. I want to invite him in because of the pressures that have affected me. I started off holy. And then I started to have lustful thoughts. Or then I started to have jealous thoughts. Or then I was angry with that person because they're done to me. Are any of those things, lustful thoughts, angry thoughts, jealous thoughts, are those things to be found that the Holy Spirit wants to lead you into? Are they things of the sinful nature? They're the fruit of the sinful nature. Holy Spirit, please help me to live according to the ways of the King. My King, Jesus. The one who loves me. The one who has given himself for me. The one who is so concerned. He's not standing here this morning saying, see, you're going to be found out. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, I love you so much. I've given my son for you so that I can redeem you. So that you can understand how powerful, how mighty, how strong I am to deliver you. To give you victory over the things that have conquered you. That's what he's saying. He is the lifter of our heads and the lover of our souls. He is our strength and our shield. He is our righteousness. He is our salvation. He is the one who has loved us before we were even born. He is the one who has called us into his kingdom. He is the one who can help us. But we've got to stop thinking that our will is sufficient to sort it out. We've got to surrender our will to his ways. My heart will sing no other name but Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.